everyone. Thank you for tuning in to the Attack and Release Show. My name is Matt, and I am joined by my good friend from Nashville, Sam Moses. Hi. And on today's episode, we are going to be talking about something that nobody talks about, <laughs> and I don't understand why. <laughs> and it's it, it sounds very simple, but it's going to be absolute clickbait, but there's no other way that we can title this episode. And that episode is literally, and by that I mean this episode, it's literally going to be on how to go about buying gear. Oh, yeah. And I don't know how nobody else has an episode out that is like this, but we want you to stop making bonehead moves (laughs) with your money. So this is going to be labeled as a gear episode, but it's really about how to not waste your money kind yes. of an episode. So we're going to be getting in. It's like Sam and I, we each have our own little process on how we go about purchasing pieces of gear. And so we're going to we're gonna kind of get into that. And you know, we have a couple other bullet points down, down the way. So Sam. Matt. Let's do the 2021. 2021 one. <laughs> Because I haven't forgotten about it. <laughs> Do you remember what it was from a couple weeks ago? It's knock it out of the park. It's knock it out of the park. We're gonna get like a crack of a bat. We will eventually. Like the crowd going wild. I heard the. I was mowing my grass the other day. I heard the organ you put in it. <laughs> I liked it a lot. I appreciate those little nuances. I know they're probably a little bit of a pain in the butt and post. Just a little, but, but it's all right. <laughs> but we just need a, we just need like a little soundboard. And it's like all like the goofy radio things. You know, I'm just into it. I'm just building up that baseball intro each episode until wait. it's 2021, and then it'll be full blown. You'll hear the ball come out of the pitcher's hand, <laughs> like the crowd cheering, the popcorn guy. I mean, I may just end up recreating a baseball game just to sample it. <laughs> nice. Looking forward to it. Yeah, it's gonna be great. You have a guy in the background that's like, Cracker Jacks, get your Cracker Jacks. Exactly. Popcorn. Yep. (laughs) This episode is going to air, I believe, around the middle of June. And so I think it would be safe to say that if we just go ahead and start 2021 right now, (laughs) everyone would be fine with leaving 2020 behind. Uh, Yeah, where it really deserves to be left. Everyone went into this year so optimistic and like, man, new decade, new me and all this stuff. And just like new decade, new disease. (laughs) It's like, man, yep, the roaring 20s. Well, and Kobe died right up front. Yeah. Everything. Everything. Could you imagine like being in a coma and then waking up in like the middle of 2020 be like, man, what's been going on for the past six months? It's like, well, I have a lot to catch you up on. I mean, a crazy year. At least they got. I wonder what's going to happen. I wonder what's going to happen between April or recording this and June. I don't think a lot's going to happen that we're going to be. I don't think that's going to be the same thing. I'm going to still be safe at home. Yeah. So hope everyone's washing your hands. Don't stop washing your hands. Keep washing your hands. It's good for you in general. Even when there's no disease. Just wash your hands. Wash your hands a couple times a day. Don't be filthy. 
You go pee, you go take a take a poop, go wash your hands. Yeah. Be a decent human. Gonna go eat some food? Go wash your hands. Yeah. It's pretty easy. Anyway. <laughs> okay. Wow. This really went off the rails. This became a public service announcement. <laughs> I guess it did. All right. So anywho, how to go on <laughs> to buying gear. Sam, I would like to hear when you uh you have a piece of gear that caught your eye. Yes. How do you how do you go about now, and it's like it's not a cheap piece of gear. Okay, it's like you're you're gonna have to lay down a a few bones to make this thing work. A few bones, all right. Yes. How do you? A little bit of cheddar. I think I, cheddar bit biscuits. Twenty nineteen, twenty eighteen. Definitely not. Cheddar. I think that was like. I think there's an A at the end. Two thousand five or something. <laughs> okay, we're like too far into this right now. <laughs> I know what you're asking, and I can answer the question if you want me to. So let's hear. I'm really curious about this intro, just like how long it is and has been lasting. <laughs> Too long. Anywho, getting into this, how do you go about uh, purchasing a piece of gear? Great. When I purchase a piece of gear, there are two. There are two situations that happen. One is something just catches my eye, like, "Ooh, wow, what's that?" Oh, wow. Cool. Or if everybody's like, oh, you got to try this new piece of gear plug-in. It's so cool. It's the answer to blah, blah, blah. It's better than this compressor. There's that type of gear, which is like the shiny new hot piece of gear situation. Then the other situation with gear for me is when I actually encounter a problem or there's a project coming up or something where I'm like, man, I need this type of sound or I'm missing this type of tone or this feeling or this sound in my head that I feel like will best match the client's vision or kind of the direction I want to take my mastering. And so I need to go hunt and find this piece of gear. And I don't know what it is. Maybe it's EQ compressor. I don't know, but I just know there's something that I would like to try to get to this sound that's stuck in my head. It's like a, it's like having an idea or a, I don't know. If you're a painter, you want to paint something new and you got to go get some new colors or something, you got to get it out. So anyway, those are my two situations with gear. One's like the shiny new piece of gear situation. The other is like an actual problem-solving situation. Mm-hmm. So... I approach them differently. If it's a new shiny piece of gear situation, which isn't necessarily bad, I've bought a couple things based on the shiny new gear thing. And in that situation, that's more of a, um, usually an emotional response when I buy something like that that I don't necessarily need, but I'm just kind of bored and so I buy it. But with being so with that what's being an example said, of yeah. what you have that's a new shiny. Um and why was it a new shiny? I mean, something that was, you know, when I say new shiny, it's probably more so new shiny to me in mm-hmm. general. Not necessarily like it came out in 2020. Yeah. Um, but something that was new shiny to me that I really got into and I really love now is the the solid state logic um, alpha preamps. So those are VHD preamps 
that are in some of the consoles and I already have a bunch of preamps and I saw a good deal during this virus thing and I thought, oh, shiny thing catching my eye. So I bought it and it costs some bones. (laughs) And uh, this was a total knee-jerk purchase of, oh, it's a good deal. And I didn't buy it because it was cheap. I just bought it because I have kind of watched them. I mean, they've been out for a long time. But I've been wanting them in general just because they have harmonic control and you can crank the input outputs and then control the blend of the harmonics. So that's like right up my alley. Color for days. You can dial in density to like straight up crunchy fuzz. So for what I do, what I like doing, it's great. So for that situation, I mean, I just bought it. I just straight up saw it. I was like, dang, that's a good deal. Got to buy that. So I just purchased it like instantly. There wasn't a whole lot of thought behind it, but there had been thoughts behind it in that I knew what it did. um, And I knew based on the reviews and demos and some people who I know own it, which is part of how I buy gear is I really trust people that have already used it to give me their thoughts on it. Um, and so I kind of had done some research before that, and that's kind of how I buy that piece of gear. The problem-solving piece of gear is like an intense hunt where I am like out in the wild of the internet. <laughs> And I am just searching. Loincloth. Exactly. I am in the jungle of the internet. Just a spear. I got reverb open, eBay open, gear sluts classified open. I got a couple Instagram guys that sell gear open. And I am just scrolling, 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 looking at compressors, EQs. I'm typing in vintage, retro, used, clone, blah, blah, blah. Foaming at the mouth. Foaming at the mouth. I'm just looking at everything. It's like overload. But I am consuming all this gear just looking for the right piece or the things, a couple pieces. I usually narrow it down to like three or four that meet the, meet the need. So one of those pieces that I own now as the TubeTech uh, LCA Tubi, mm-hmm. um, which is like an LA-2A and also like the attack release times and some of the general idea is based off the 670, like the Fairchild, or 660s. Um, and so, I've just, like, when I bought this a couple years ago, I was looking, I've always liked the 660, 670 Fairchilds. Of course, there's only, like, a handful of the actual real ones in the world. Um, and then there's, like, some clones, and that's fine. Um, but the clones are also like, it's not really a matter of money. I just, if I'm going to spend like $10,000 on a clone, I would rather just save up and spend like $30,000 on the real one when it comes out. If I could find one for like a good deal <laughs> at $30,000 at some point. No big deal. No big deal. That's some bones. So I I really don't believe in buying um Every time we say bones, can we get like a cha-ching sound? <laughs> oh my gosh, so much editing for me. Um, yes, we can try that. 
Real quick, I gotta turn my fan on in this room. It's like turn it on. It's fine. I turned it off, and then so it like spools up, and then it quiets down. So it'll be spring in South Carolina, guys. It's hot. It's a little warm. Um, but yeah, when I was searching for kind of a Fairchild e compressor, and then I also have an obsession with LA two A's. Um, which I don't own any actual LA2As. It's on my list to buy them this year. But I've always liked tube tech stuff. I've used a lot of tube tech, tube st- tube tech stuff. And so when I was like, hmm, I wonder if I can get something like a Fairchild or a 2A. And um, I just started searching for like optic compressors, 670s, clones, blah, blah, all this research on the internets. Mm-hmm. And things kept coming back to the tube tech. Um, <clears throat> And so that was one of those where I found it and I just, it's used, but, you know, in really good shape and I just paid the price. <laughs> I don't know. I didn't like wait for a good deal um, or anything because once I landed on it and um, I have some buddies that have them, I just was like, this is the thing. So I bought it and it's been terrific. It's amazing. It's super versatile. I don't know if it sounds like a, a Fairchild because I've never used an actual Fairchild. Um, it, I don't know if it sounds like a stereo pair of two A's because I've never had that either. Mm. But it feels like it, in my opinion, on some level. Um, it's kind of like aggressive up front. It's a little brighter. The Fairchilds are usually really bright um, and kind of up front. And... Um, yeah, it just it brings energy to things, and I feel like that's what the two A's and the Fairchilds do is they bring energy, um, and kind of like this mid range top thing that you can't get anywhere else. So that's how I bought that piece of gear. But really, all my gear buying is based on figuring out either what do I want, what do I need, um, and I rarely think about price until I start. I will figure out what I need first, then I'll address the price second. The price is never the determining factor anymore for me of no. whether or not. Even when, even when I had no money, it was never the determining <laughs> factor. Well, that's I can not, still drool. That's not how I used to be. I used to buy when I first started. It only took me like two pieces of gear of buying like a knockoff clone and then hearing the real versions of like an 1176 mm-hmm. or like a Neve 1073 versus a clone. I only had to do that like twice to be like, holy crap. There is a big difference. And once you start listening correctly in a correct room or in correct context, um, I would highly recommend not making any decision based off some YouTube video if someone's A-being things or until you can like get your hands on it or be in the studio with it and see how it reacts to like actual real context of use. It's really hard to distinguish if it's, you know, if the clone's better or whatever. Mm-hmm. So now price is irrelevant. It's if I'm going to buy something that's going to meet a need or scratch an itch um, at this stage and give me another, you know, color to paint with that I feel like would be valuable to, you know, clients and also my creativity. Um, and so then I figure out cost. And I mean, what I've done pretty much my whole life is just saved up money. And then I put it on a credit card 
and then I pay it off on the payments interest free to build up my credit score. But I always, almost always have the cash up front just sitting. Um, so I know the gear is paid for. I don't think I've really ever bought gear without having the money first. Um, mm-hmm. And my collection of gear is a has been a ten year journey. You know, I probably have sixty thousand dollars a year now, and that's been over ten years. So, you know, I guess it's like six grand a year. I don't know, but it wasn't an overnight thing, and it was an investment into the business. And I do not regret ever buying the the real piece of gear you know, the actual brand. I've never regret buying, honestly, probably any of my gear except for the first couple cheap pieces I bought that I just was like, oh, I'll buy a knockoff preamp or a knockoff compressor. And it just did not perform how I imagined it to perform. This doesn't mean cheap gear isn't great. Like I have DBX stuff, like 560 and parametric EQ, it's like $200 for a 500 series version or you could buy the rack for like 300 And like, they're incredible on kicks and snares and anything aggressive or percussive. Absolutely amazing. Um, they've also been used for like 30 or 40 years. So they have kind of a following with them. But, um, but yeah, my... I mean, when I, when I go to buy a piece of gear, probably the most tedious thing is figuring out really narrowing down what am I actually trying to do and am I trying to stroke my own ego or impress someone or is this an actual tool that I will use or it could also be something fun just for me because like 10 years in now there are days when I'm bored so even though my clients may not be like hey you should buy this or like I'm bored with what you're giving me personally I'm just like ah, I wonder what this would do or how can I use this? So I think you have to constantly be in a um, an openness to grow and try new things because every time I do do that, do do, I um, I learn something about you know signal chains or the way things get processed or what a certain EQ or compressor or limiter does or saturation or saturation or exciter. Um, like I own two different exciters now. I have like the old Aphex exciter rack mount, and then I have an EXR psychoacoustic projector exciter, which is like a vintage stereo exciter. Two totally different boxes, but you would think they both excite things the same based on the description. So it just all becomes tools that I learn and then I use. So that's kind of my overview of how I approach gear, buying gear. I absolutely adore gear. Um, I plan on buying as much gear as I can because it just, for me, is a lot more fun. Um, I like the sound of it. I like touching the gear. I like everything about it, the way it looks. Um, I don't know, but that's just a personal choice. This isn't an in-the-box, out-of-the-box debate. It's just a personal choice of how I like to work. So that's monologue one. Matt, what say you? What's your opinion on gear, buying it? How do you buy it? I don't think I've ever bought like a big shiny um, for the sake of it being a big shiny. Yeah. Um, When I bought the 
P3S, the foot control systems compressor, which is becoming probably like one of the... I'm not really a big compressor uh, person, but it is quite the workhorse, even if you're just like turning up the gain. Like I'm, I'm, I'm just really liking it. Um, that was kind of a big shiny, I guess, because I was, I was like, okay, I'll, I'll, I, I want one, and like I had just bought the Manly Very Mew, yeah, um, and I just saw this, and I was like, well, this is like sixteen hundred dollars for the mastering version, so it's like, listen, man, I'm a sucker for a deal, so, <laughs> so I put in an offer, and like I knew how long the guy had been sitting on it. And we just, you know, later that week, I, I, I got me a little 1U compressor. So, um, so I think that's probably the only, quote, big shiny. But, I mean, 1600 bucks to me isn't a big shiny. Big yeah. shiny normally means, like, like a high-dollar purchase. Um, for me, and I've said it countless times, I don't know if I've said it on this, but I'd say it to people anytime they ask me about gear is uh, even though you do have the big shiny, gear must solve a problem for you. Yes. Even if it is a big shiny, you are anticipating that big shiny to solve some type of problem for you, whether it's typically with a big shiny, it's it's going to add some little bit of a vibe to something. Because you're not going to like... I mean, I guess you could get a surgical EQ as a big shiny. Like you get a GML nine, what is it, ninety five hundred? I guess that could be a big shiny. Yeah. But typically, you have like a problem that needs to be solved if you're going to purchase that, or you're going to purchase like a Maslick EQ or something. It's like, it's like you have like you want like really really surgical things, really tight cues, and you want it to be like stupid quiet. Like even with that GML, I think it's completely like it has two separate power supplies like i don't even i don't think the channels ever touch um or like run through the same thing so i guess i'd call that a big shiny but i would more call that like this is a piece of gear that solves a problem for you and that's my ethos is that a piece of gear a purchase must always solve a problem for you um and i don't know i it kind of stinks seeing people buy crappy gear that like you know through your own research and I'm like I, I'm I I go really into it of I find the person who makes this and then I go on my little like stocking routine and I'll follow them on all the platforms and then I'll like look at how they respond to comments and I'll look at like how they interact with other people. And there was like a guy who got into a fight with another guy of a piece of gear that I wanted to buy from his company. And the guy from the company that I was going to buy this piece of gear absolutely leveled this other guy in terms of, like, how shitty the other guy's quality was. And it's like, he did it in, like, a very technical and very professional way. And it was like, you know what? I would like to support you with a purchase of gear from your company. <laughs> so, um, so... I want someone to prove to me that, like, you are who you say you are and you are worth this purchase mm -hmm. um, because this stuff's not cheap. Um, I mean, I even want to get into the whole thing of, like, I really don't believe 
in buying cheap gear just to have gear. Yeah. Because it's like, what the hell is the point? It's right. like, if it's going to solve a problem for me, if it's going to be a compressor, like, when I used to mix a bunch, I used to use, like, a really, really inexpensive compressor, um, but it was a tube compressor, and it's kind of known throughout the industry as, like, a little bit of a secret weapon. You'll see it in every single studio you go into. And I'm going to make everyone wonder, what is that? Yeah, and I'm not going to tell that? you what it is, because I'll tell you off air, but I'm not going to tell anyone what it is, because I don't want to down anyone's gear if they have it. Um, but it's like, I'm, and I used to use it for live mixing and everything, and it was so great, but it's not a mastering piece of gear. And it just, and I'm not saying that like something has to be quote unquote mastering grade. Not everything has to have detented pots. I mean, Sam doesn't believe in detented pots. And there are certain <laughs> pieces of gear that I've had that were detented that I'm like, man, this is so stupid. Why is this detented? Um, uh, one of those was the, uh, um, what is it? The IGS Tube Core 3 that I had. Mm-hmm. It's like you could never hit it just right. I mean, you you could get close, and then it's and the only gear that I'm going to talk about. I'm kind of going back to this is gear that I have previously had in my desk that people have seen me have and possibly sell or still have. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to talk about gear that I sold a long time ago that I know that some people who listen to this show may at one point have or currently have. Um, so that's kind of my little my little thing in terms of like what I'm going to be talking about. So like I could never get it dialed in just right, and was never using it as a compressor. Even if you needed it to, it would never compress right. It would just do a tone thing more or less, and you almost had to switch out the tubes to like sixty three eighty sixes. I think yeah, that, that's the tube number. It's like the really old like kind of like vintage tube. You go and get like NOS, or you could get uh, uh, JJ's, mm-hmm. and. There's some other reasons why I got rid of that, but that's for like another gear episode. But I could like never dial it in. It never completely solved a problem for me. Um, so I'm a very big believer in how I go about buying uh, buying gear to that that it must solve a problem for me. So how do I buy gear? Man, am I methodical <laughs> or anal or whatever anyone <laughs> wants to say? So. The big you, you, you got the big three. You got the gear sluts. You got the eBay. You got the reverb. And gear sluts cost twenty dollars to get into the classifieds and to do and to message people and stuff like that in there. If you're cheap, just drop the twenty dollars and go do it. It's like you're gonna find some gear at like lower than you're ever gonna find, and people willing to negotiate and people willing to talk and like help you out with stuff like I, I actually bought the the mass look MPL2 from a guy uh, I posted a gear sluts classified like hey looking for an MPL2 and this guy said hey I actually have one of these and I am like mid studio build and the contractor's being weird and it probably won't be done for like I've learned like for like the next six to eight months and I'd rather have the money than this piece of gear that I can just buy He's like, so I'll totally sell it to you. So I bought it, discounted, because it was gear sluts classified, and it was brand new in the box. had never been powered on. Yeah. So it's like, that's the type of stuff that you have the ability to run into 
on the off chance you're willing to stop being cheap and spend $20. eBay is weird, because eBay has weird fees. I've pretty much written off every single auction on eBay. Just because, like, there's so many, like, little tiny ways to put your... Uh, your piece of gear up for sale and stuff like that, that you're almost better off working for people who, like looking for people who misspelled the gear that you're looking for hmm. or miscategorized it. You're better off to find those people because they will never otherwise sell their stuff because they don't understand eBay. Mm-hmm. Then you are to go to an auction and to get a, like, a once-in-a-lifetime thing. Um, I think buy it now is really buy it now or make an offer or anything are really the only viable options, at least that I've seen uh, for buying gear and like having like a decent conversation with somebody. Auction auctions just get too weird, and then it's like someone might not have a reserve set, and then like you're like really invested into this auction, and then like the ninth hour or whatever it's called. They just pull the whole auction. You're like, well, what the hell? And, so, and now everything's gone. So that whole opportunity is lost. So I don't waste a lot of time on eBay unless it's buy it now or make an offer. And make an offer is actually kind of it's actually kind of fun going back and forth a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, it's a it it sounds weird. It's a cheaper version of doing it than as opposed to doing it via reverb. Reverb nickel and dimes the absolute crap out of you. I also have a gripe with reverb that I'll get into a little bit later. <clears throat> so with reverb, go into it knowing that every single person on reverb is listing high. Because what happens on reverb? You make an offer. And guess what? The first person who says their number first always loses. And because the person who is selling their piece of gear they are never going to get what that's for unless it's like insanely reasonable, which isn't really the case normally. Unless you have like guitar pedals and they're all going for like the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but even then, I don't really recommend like selling stuff that like everyone is selling. It's like I would just go somewhere else where it's in more demand. If I was going to sell a guitar pedal, I'd probably go to like a Facebook like praise and worship group or something like that. And those people are mm-hmm. slutty for some pedals, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you go to a P&W page, holy crap. Um, but that's not, that's not on my big three list. So reverb, let's see. Reverb, you got to really have your, have your stuff ready because you got people who are very gear slut mindset. Mindset. Yeah, I think that's it. And they are ready to pounce. So uh, I have tip. We should do a how to sell your gear episode. I have a lot of tips on how to get a <laughs> decent amount of money out of gear. I got some really dirty ways on how to get a decent amount of money out of gear. You just have to be very patient. Um, so, yeah. So, reverb, no going into it that people are going to be listing their stuff high, and just be willing to talk, willing to negotiate, be on the back end. If you really want something, talking with someone, and it's like, don't be that guy who's lowballing it. But if it's been up there for a while, and it's like, I'm talking like, you've seen this sucker up there for a really long time, sure, you can go ahead. I'd probably start a conversation with the person at first, and uh, you're more than likely to move things. Here's my gripe with reverb. 
and I've like looked into like legislation and laws and stuff like that. I don't think that reverb should be charging sales tax mm-hmm. on top of their fees and everything else that they pay. Here's why. Nothing that reverb, nothing like like reverb is just a store. This is like my side tangent yeah. of my side tangent. So reverb is just a store and they just facilitate a sale. They never take possession of something and everything on there for the most part Call it 10%, maybe 20, 25 at the most is new. But for the most part, all of it is used gear. Stuff that sales tax has already been paid on before, and they are never physically taking possession of it. It's not really even an internet sale to that degree. It's like, so I buy a massive passive. Let's say I buy a massive passive for $5,000. I'm going to get charged around $800 in like taxes and like st- stuff like that and fees and all that crap. And it's like I don't understand why I have to pay sales tax on something that's already been taxed before mm-hmm. on something that Reverb never takes possession of. And I I just think it's something like incredibly loose and it's like it's borderline criminal. And uh I think when Etsy acquired Reverb is when they kind of got on the up and up and had to do that. But I've been kind of wanting to fight that. It's a it's a losing battle. It would never win. But I mean, it would definitely have them. It'd be a more favorable platform if you didn't have to do that. Um, but yeah, another great reason to do via gear slots. You just have to be willing to send your piece of gear to a complete stranger. It also helps weed out some of the sketchier characters you might encounter on, say, eBay or something like that. Just because somebody is willing to put down $20 to be part of a community. Mm-hmm. So it like puts in like a little bit of a validity there. Um, so I'll go into two more points real quick. Great. On how I buy gear. Um, a question that I always ask is how much of that piece of gear is actually out there? And I'll go to the story of me buying this Hilo. So... Nobody, when they are first hopping out of the box, sorry, I had a burp. No one wants to buy a converter, but you have to buy a converter. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's kind of like a painful thing to buy because uh, you just, it, it, it's a means to an end. It's like I have to buy this really expensive thing to now buy my other expensive thing. And so it's like a little bit of a burden. So I put, when I first got that and when I first hopped out of the box, uh, I put a bunch of research into this. Um, and what I was seeing is that Helos really retained their value well. Um, I was after the Thunderbolt one, and uh, just I, I just liked the faster data transfer. Um, and... They were holding their value really well. There really weren't any used ones for sale, mm-hmm. and that's like that's a, that's a big thing. It's like, and I was also looking, and then like once again, I don't want to put down people's gear, but like the big competitors of the Hilo are the Antelope Pure Two, um, and then what was the other one? I can't remember. The, there were there were three there were three big ones, and like the. I guess the top two would be the Pier 2 and then the Hilo. Um, and there were a bunch of Pier 2s for sale 
which is, I mean, you could get a deal just because it is a saturated market. Mm -hmm. Um, But the question that you have to ask is, if there are if if the market is absolutely saturated with this piece of gear and you're not completely sold on and you're kind of like exploring things and whatnot and the market's saturated with it how good of a piece of gear is it if everyone's selling it right and i think that that's a very good and big question to ask uh, and i mean it could be great and it could be great just for you and it could fit and suit your application perfectly. But because there was an oversaturation of Pure Twos and an undersaturation of Helos, I was willing to put in my time to wait uh, for a Helo and ended up finding that. And uh, yeah, found exactly what I wanted and managed to catch a pretty solid deal on it. Um, so that's a big thing to consider is whenever you're looking at gear, how saturated is the market? And then is that a plus or a minus? for you personally and the problems that it solves for you. Um, the last one, the uh, point that you touched on, Sam, um, as far as like cash that you have on hand whenever you're buying or something like that, it's pretty rare if I ever finance like over 50% of something. Typically, I want to have around 80% of the cash and then I'm... And I I don't, I don't really like personal credit cards, so I, I don't have any. Um, if I do anything, it'll normally just be through like a firm or like PayPal credit or something like that. I think PayPal credit reflects on your actual credit, but a firm, um, I don't think it does anything with your credit. So I don't know how they really hold a lot of stuff. I don't think they do anything with your credit score. Mm-hmm. But I've heard that PayPal credit will negatively affect your credit score. Um so I don't really know how a firm works. They must be owned by a larger crediting agency or something like yeah. that. Um, so I'll typically fund 80% of something and then finance the back 20. And the only reason I will finance something is I'm a very big proponent in a business sense of using, um, essentially using financing, using small loans or something like that to um, to retain and to be able to continue to use uh, my operating capital. Mm-hmm. So like whatever I need month to month or whatever to run my business, I want to make sure that I'm able to have cash on hand and am I willing to pay X amount of interest on like a little loan like a firm might do. It's like, call it like, I don't know if I finance a thousand dollars like uh i don't know let's say they let's let's say they charge me seventy dollars am i willing to and it's like i'm going to be able to pay that off or i'm willing to pay that off within three months am i willing to um am i willing to finance am i willing to pay seventy dollars for that thousand dollars so that i can use that thousand dollars that i didn't spend uh, essentially on like like retained operating capital used elsewhere mm-hmm. in my business. Because there's all this other crap you're not thinking about whenever you buy gear, like cables. And like, like, like oh, shit, this didn't come with an IEC. Now I'm broke and I can't even plug the thing in. <laughs> <laughs> it's like I've bought like, I, 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 this is a true story. I've bought like a $6,000 piece, piece of gear and I didn't get a freaking power cable. You know how pissed off I was? Mm-hmm. So, so yeah, 
like you always want to just like retain stuff. Call it like a rainy day fund or whatever. But um, I typically will not put like a full amount down. Yeah. Um, so, Sam, do you want to do you want to talk about not being cheap? Sure. When people buy gear. <laughs> yeah. To stop buying cheap gear. Sure. And don't buy gear just to buy gear. Yeah. We can talk about that for a bit. Cool. And then I kind of have like a closing one. Great. Okay. Not buying cheap gear. Don't be cheap. Uh, disclaimer: There's no shame if you don't have any money. Um, this isn't a shaming episode or a poo poo episode. Mm-hmm. If you can't afford a piece of gear, um, going into crazy debt to stress yourself out to buy a piece of gear, do not do that. Don't do that. Uh, if you don't have clients yet, the <laughs> gear will most likely not get you clients. Um, that's not the problem. So don't go into debt for that. Um, with no clients to use your new $3,000 compressor on. Also, if you want to buy cheaper gear, um, there's nothing wrong with that. If you want to buy clones, um, in theory, there's nothing wrong with that. I think there's a mindset approach that I'll touch on later, but I just want to make sure everybody hears me before I give this monologue on why you potentially shouldn't buy cheaper gear. Um, that I'm not saying if you have bought a clone or anything or a cheaper piece of gear, that's not the name brand. That doesn't mean you can't make great albums. That doesn't mean it's not uh, solving a problem. And uh, it could just be that you're starting off and you just want to try out some gear and you don't want to spend $3,000. So before we dive into that, I want to make that super clear. Um, I've been through the clone buying stage. Now I buy like the high-end name brand stuff, uh, which is a personal choice based on what I want um, to do in my workflow. And I just want to make sure everybody takes the following what I'm going to say um, nicely because I love everybody in the audience. I love all my clients. We're all on a journey. And uh, this really is more about mindset and the purpose of buying gear, how to buy gear, and why buying cheap gear isn't always the best option. So when we talk about cheap gear, I'm talking about super cheap knockoffs, super cheap clones. Now, if the piece of gear is not made anymore, um, mm-hmm. that's a different conversation where like a company yes. is trying to recreate something that doesn't exist anymore, or the components are just impossible to find. Or the company has even put its own like brand new spin on it. To me, that's kind of like the Tube Tech LCA 2B is they were like, we like 2As, we like Fairchilds. So we're going to make like this hybrid monster of a comp limiter that has like Fairchild type attack release presets, linkability, and then like a 2A type of response comp limiter. So that to me is like brilliant. You've you guys clearly pick two things and we're like, what what happens? What does this button do? <laughs> what do we what happens mm-hmm. when we combine these two legendary things? Um, I think that's a different conversation. I'm talking more so of like, I mean a perfect example, like a Neve ten seventy three. Like a ten seventy three, depending on the vintage, is like a thousand to ten thousand dollars for a preamp. You can find clones of them for like a hundred and fifty dollars. Um, I have bought in the clones, um, a couple of them before cheap, before I learned this lesson. And, um, it's not that they're bad. They're just not the real thing. If you're going for 
a specific sound on a record. Obviously, there's thousands of variables from room to person to microphone to source to player to everything. But there are a lot of sounds that can be recreated by a proper microphone into gear, etc. I have found that the more... The longer I do this, there are certain things like a massive passive. People all the all the time describe it as like it sounds like a record, and I didn't understand that until I got one and started using it. And then I was like, "Oh my gosh, this sounds like a finished record. This is the sound hmm. of finished records to me in my head." Um, and I know I'm not alone in that, but. Um, Cheap gear to me, imitation gear, clone gear, um, it just, in all my experience, can you make a record with cheap gear? Of course. I've mentioned before, like, why is that the point? Why is the point to make knockoff clones that you sell at a tenth of a price to try and win a hobbyist market, you know, that? doesn't want to spend or they don't think they want to spend a thousand dollars on a preamp when they can buy four for a thousand that are mimicking the British classic EQ like preamp or EQ. And I find within our own industry that that is quite disturbing because I don't really agree with companies blatantly copying the original company and getting away with it, especially if they're not even using similar components and claiming it's this other thing that costs 4x the cost. I mean, we could just take Poltex, for example, the amount of times they've been cloned mm. and cloned really poorly outside of looking like Poltec, the inside is nothing like it, and it sounds definitely not like a Poltec. What's crazy is, and I mean, I could be wrong, but I don't think I'm wrong, is... I had an opportunity to demo like an OG Poltec against a a clone and just like turning it on on the source you're just like oh my gosh Th- these two are not at all remotely close to one another right and yeah and you go and you turn the bands and you're just like I think they're just like mimicking the curve right because I don't because they're not mimicking the vibe yeah so I don't know what's here. Right. Yeah, I mean, at the at the end of the day, like, in all of this I'm saying, there's no shame if you like to buy the non-high-end brand thing. Like, there's nothing wrong with that. I want everybody to hear me. Like, you can use whatever gear you want to make whatever type of music you want, any brand, anything. This is more so trying to hit on the mindset of how to how to buy gear and why buying cheap gear isn't always the the solution. And one of my main concerns is, what does this do to the industry? If we allow companies to make clones of things and sell it at a tenth of the price, and then people, and this drives me bonkers, when people advertise, like they have Poltex, but they don't, or they have, you know, they have the clones. If you have a clone of something, you do not have that brand name. So you don't have 1073s unless you own Neve 1073s. What other other company labels it a 1073 or a 73? You do not have 1073s. And like I see this all through the industry of people advertising on their studios that they have these things essentially that they don't have. And that's dishonest. Um, I don't believe that's good. I don't think that's good for the industry. I think it's a poor reflection of 
um, where the industry is at in that we allow the watering down and cloning of things to the point where it's a tenth of the value or 25% of, of the value. And I think this gets into like the industry as a whole and this is you know, a side tangent of like art will continue to be devalued if we allow the music and everything to be made with clones of clones of clones and then you wonder why every song sounds like a clone. It's because the industry is flooded with people who want to have the perceived physical appearance that they are the original authentic thing and that there's value in it when in reality it's a superficial faceplate and that's it that's making it appear to have value and like there's when you do ab like components if you pop open like a poltech clone it's very different than a real one and i'm not really debating if the clones sound good or not or if you can use them or not you know all that it's more so i want people to think about the ethics behind constantly buying the cheaper item when you really want the brand name thing. So if you really want the Poltec sound, don't go buy a clone of a Poltec. Save your money and buy the Poltec. Like that's the only way to get close to that sound is to buy the real thing. And when we talk about buying gear, I think that's part of this conversation is like I'll have I have people say that at, you know tell me all the time like, "Oh, I bought a clone of this or this, you know, other brand of this thing to try and get to this brand name thing. And it's like, it's not it. Like you're selling yourself short because for me, it used to come down to scarcity mindset. Whereas like, I'm not allowed to spend $3,000 on a piece of gear, but I can spend $1,000 three times on other, on three pieces of gear. Like these mental hoops I had made that I wasn't allowed to purchase something that cost $5,000, but I was allowed to buy, you know, five things that are $1,000. And I just, I would spin it in my head that way. I don't know if it's, it was programmed into me, but there was a fear of putting that much money when I was starting into a piece of gear because I really wasn't making that much money. And so at the time, you know, six years ago, $3,000 and still like $3,000 is quote unquote, a lot of money. But now 10 years in $3,000 for a piece of mastering gear is kind of like, well, it's kind of like cost of entry <laughs> for like a actual mastering yeah. piece of gear. Um, and mastering is one of the most expensive things to get into. Um, it's like, you know what you're getting into. Yeah. Well. It's, it's, um, it costs a lot of money. And it's because the gear is like just so well made and usually handmade, and it's usually just full of amazing components and things that can handle like tons of volume and it's super clean. And it's, I don't know, it just mastery gear is just expensive because of what it is and what it's capable of doing. And to be a mastery engineer, you have to accept that you may spend 60, 70, 80, 100 quarter million dollars. Um, getting into it to be able to compete at the professional level. Once again, that doesn't mean you have to, and there's lots of probably big-time guys now that have moved more in the box, and that's a, that's a whole different conversation. But basically, like buying the cheap gear because you don't want to spend the money on the brand name is a, is a way to always be disappointed, and that is a reflection of how you view the world. 
And so you should not be surprised if your <coughs> clients treat you the same way that you view gear. If you want to charge your clients like a professional rate and they come to you and go, well, I can go to somebody else who will record me <coughs> for a third of the cost. That's just what you did to that to the gear situation in my mind. Like, It's a similar mindset approach of I want the professional brand name product that I know is like tried and true and performs and is like a standard in the industry, you know, the professional industry, but I only want to pay 30% of it. So you go buy the knockoff. And that's mm-hmm. what your clients do. Like people, I've, I, there's a direct correlation in me spending money into my business and the growth of my business. And until I was willing to take the leap and start really investing, because I was like, I want to be a professional. I want to compete like with labels and like bigger, you know, I want to work with labels. I want to compete with like Sterling. So that requires a cost. And it's sometimes difficult um, to accept that there is a cost. And I'm not entitled to anything. That's part of this too, is like, you're not entitled. To any nice gear, you're not entitled to clients, you're not entitled to a career, you're not entitled to any of it. And I think that's part of this is like the cheaper gear often targets people who are looking for the instant gratification and feeling that they have the real thing only to look at the piece of gear they bought and have a little bit of remorse. And this isn't everyone, of course, but anytime I ask somebody like, would you rather have a Neve 1073 or a clone of a 1073 and money's not the issue, then they always pick the Neve 1073. Like <laughs> it's it's a it's a no-brainer. And so if that's your answer to me, which everyone always says that, like if I was to give you a choice, if I had both of them, everybody picks Neve. So it's like, well, why don't you just save up a little longer? Or trust that this thing will probably pay for itself because it's the real deal and it sounds fantastic and it's going to save you time. It's going to pay for itself. That's what I've noticed. All my gear is always paid for itself in time. Mm. Where like, once I got a proper room, proper speakers, proper converter, like a proper setup, invested in an acoustician to come do the room, my work time was like cut in half. And it literally was like a 50% decrease in work time. So like everything I dumped in to my room and gear, like it paid for itself. Like it it freed up like 20 hours a week, (laughs) literally. And so I could do more work and better work. It's not only freed up time, but the work got better. Mm -hmm. And that's something like people don't understand. If you are always buying cheap gear and trying to buy the cheap route, go the cheap route, um, you may never be able to tap into your actual potential. And I'm a testimony Mm. to that of until I bought some pretty legit gear that I'd always wanted but was too scared to make the investment. Um, And not making the investment is also telling yourself you're not going to be able to do this for a career. Because like $5,000 for a massive passive over 30 years is a, a drip in the bucket. Like that's nothing if you prorated over 30 years of use. Like that's one of the cheaper things you'll ever buy that you'll use for 30 years. Um, And so when my mindset began to think that way of like, okay, I want to do this for probably like 30 years, then 
<clears throat> spending lots of money or what I call lots of money at the time is is not that much money. And that's where I think like when you're shopping for gear, we go for the cheap option because all we're thinking about is the emotional right now pain or desire to have something new to show off or to use instead of thinking, oh, over 30 years, spending 600 bucks or 1000 bucks on a preamp to have a Neve preamp or a clone preamp and spending $400 over 30 years really isn't that much extra money. And oh, if I buy the real thing, A, I'll feel more confident with it because that's what I really want. B, it'll probably sound better because that's what we know is actually the thing that's used on hit records over the years. It'll probably pay for itself. That $400 makeup is like, it's it's made up in the first week of use. <laughs> like if you use a Neve 1073, that sounds terrific on a vocal session in one week and you cut vocals in an hour and then the vocal sits perfectly in the mix and you cut off an hour in your mix, you've just saved like two hours. Your client's happier. It sounds better. You're going to get referrals. The client's going to come back. You just made up that money. Like that's the mindset you have to start having is that like you are worth the investment and that the more people are willing to spend money and invest into the music industry, into their art, into the craft, into the tools, then the more everybody will make because that's like economy 101 like economics 101 is like stimulating the economy and the race to the bottom you know going cheaper and cheaper and cheaper never ends well for anyone and it doesn't end well for industries either so buying cheap to me is like is a very um it's heavily rooted in a mindset and trying to scratch an itch essentially and it's not a very long-term view of a career. It's very short-term thinking that, well, I'm just going to limp in because I don't really want to buy what I really want. And there's probably people out there listening right now that are like, oh, it must be nice to be able to buy like $5,000 piece of thing, blah, blah. I get it. I was that person. I understand. I understand the argument. I understand the position. I used to work in an apartment with an inbox, Yamaha five speakers, no gear, like no plugins. GarageBand. I get it. Couldn't afford anything. But over time, you can afford things and you can invest in your business and you can pick that you will buy the things you actually want. And buying the things you actually want, saving up for them, not feeling entitled, there's nothing more empowering than buying the piece of gear you want because you are going to use the crap out of that piece of gear <laughs> when you buy the thing you actually want. And also within all this, like if the thing you want is the clone or the knockoff or the cheap, cheaper piece of gear, that's fine. Like, there are plenty of companies that make, you know, spinoffs on things. And maybe that's what you really want. Maybe you don't want the Neve or you don't want the API or the SSL. You want this other brand because you support them. And that's a whole pushback on like everything I'm saying. And that's fine too. I just want to make sure people are thinking about what you're buying, what you're investing into. And what's the actual reason, the why behind you're buying this piece of gear? And that's this whole episode for me is it's not really about like clones or, you know, cheap gear. It's it's the why behind. Like how do you buy gear and why do you buy gear? And that's really what I want to make sure people hear in this. You know, I don't really care about the brand names. There are ethical things I've mentioned. That's my own opinion. But outside of that, like I just want to make sure people are buying what they really want and believe that they can invest in themselves. And 
there's there's no shame here. There's no negativity. It's just what I've observed over the last 10 years. And it's kind of a hard reality sometimes to swallow. To, For me, at least, it was realizing and myself that I had a small view of the world and of my career and what I was capable of. And I was unwilling to invest and take the risk on myself to get what I actually wanted, to have the tools I want to then serve the client in the way I want. So that's how I will end that. Matt, share and take us home. Damn, a freaking mic drop. <laughs> I don't know. My my biggest thing is that I feel like if you just kind of put your mind to it and you just save your cash, I feel like it's like it it, it, it it's almost like a non-talking point because like right. the real thing just pays off itself so darn quick. And it's like I'm not saying like oh well so and so is going to see this. It's like if you go in with that mindset. You're going to get nowhere is like hoping that, oh, people see this cool piece of gear and stuff like that. But I was talking with a, with a guy earlier this week. He's like one of the nicest guys who like listens to this podcast. And uh, he was saying that he sold something really good just because he, th- he thought he bought it too early and like for his experience and whatnot. And then we were talking about it and he's like messed around with a, a handful of things. And I said, well, ultimately it's like, shit, man, what are you, what are you looking for? And he's like, I just want this piece of gear. It's like every time I used it, it just kind of solved the problem for me. And I was like, you're literally saying, you're literally answering the question with like, like you ever you ever see, ever you hear the thing, like when you apply for the job, you like you find the keywords in like the job description, then you plug those into your resume or your your cover letter or something like that. He's literally saying the thing that I asked him. It's like, well, this needs to solve a problem for you. What's your problem? And he says that this thing literally solved the problem for him. It's like, well, you're just, you. those are arrows. Those are pointing to exactly what you need to do. And I think just financially, you need to put yourself in a situation to go and just buy that. Mm-hmm. It's like just go buy it again. Now you think you're ready for gear of that caliber. It's like I get it. If you th- if you got into it too early, if it was a financial thing, if it was whatever, I like totally didn't breathe during that whole thing. So I like, <laughs> had a massive breath. Um, uh, yeah. Um, but yeah, I I would just buy things that that inspire you. Um, I wouldn't. I mean, I think some plugins sound better than clones. Yeah. And it's like what a clone is giving you in depth, I think, like if there is any, that I think you're losing something else somewhere that you could just be gaining by staying in the box. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I would just say buy the real thing. And, uh, and that's kind of that. So I, I, I think all that needed to be said has been said about that. Um, <laughs> real quick, so this is kind of how I want to like tie this episode up is in this last little segment um, because this happens and like you work stuff up in your head and you're like, this is going to solve my problem. This is going to be it. And this is like going to be the bee's knees and stuff like that. And so take everything that Sam just said and now... Let's introduce that you got it, and now there's some buyer's remorse. <laughs> so I think it's kind of an interesting way to put a bookend on this episode. So I've had a few pieces of gear 
where I've had some buyer's remorse after purchasing them. And one was that uh, that IGS tube core. I think the initial tube or the tubes that come in it were absolutely, they're just woolly and thick and they just sound like butthole. And so I got the 6386 tubes and uh, those sounded really nice. It turned that thing to like a silk machine. And by the time I was selling it, and we're not going to get into selling gear, by the time I sold it, um, I I was definitely missing. I was I was missing it before it was even out the door. But it's like I knew I I knew that was what I needed to do. And it took me a long. It probably took me five months to sell it because I wanted to do it right. Um, so and I didn't want to take a massive hit on it. I don't really believe in taking a like a big hit on selling gear. And I know a bunch of people um who do that just to kind of move on to the next thing. And that's a whole nother thing on selling gear and like how much of a hit to take. Damn, we really need to do this episode. <laughs> Damn. We should just roll. Sam, you just like hang out for another hour. We're just going to roll into the next episode. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, so you have that. And then uh, it, that guy just didn't fit the rig. And then I replaced that um, with the uh, knife or NIF, whatever you call it, the very mew. And I thought it was cool. It was a really cool compressor. Just once again, it just wasn't fitting the vibe that I was going for. Um, it was incredibly transparent, which is great for a mastering compressor. Um, but looking for a very mu, I'm pretty sure if I say the words very mu, uh, people in general know what you're what you mean by that. You typically will get a little bit of like a 3D vibe to things. Uh, things will jump out a little bit become a little more present. There will be some depth uh, around things. Uh, stuff can, in other cases, like if you get like the Manly Vary Me, which I actually think they may have, I don't know if they coined that on the, I don't know, I'll have to look that up. If they like coined that and everyone else copies them. Um, but it's like just kind of like, that's just kind of like a big gluey hug if you actually compress with it. Um and so it's like, I feel like everybody has a general idea of what a variable mu does. And, uh, and this guy was just absolutely quiet. Like, and you could take off a ton and, uh, and you wouldn't hear it. And that's not necessarily what bothered me. But what, what bothered me is whenever, um, I'm really, I'm really freaking picky about how my, gain knobs on things sound and uh it just added like a very odd high end that wasn't or a top end that wasn't there before and it's like well shoot i have this like stage in this place and this is exactly where i want it but like i can't really stage out of it that well and i have to make up this gain somewhere because you don't want to hear it down the line and something like that and ultimately i'd like it it happened in the compressor and uh it just added like a weird not a weird, like I'm sure in other people it's pleasant. It was just a top end that just didn't work for me. Um, and so I got rid of it. And I remember a lot of people, like, they would, like, ask about it and stuff like that. And I was just kind of, like, pissed off and whatnot. And, like, oh, I just spent $6,500 on this thing, and I don't really like it. Um, so kind of getting into um, buyer's remorse. Uh, long story short, it happens. And... It, we build things up in our head and we just need to 
Um, I feel like there's a burn-in period with a lot of gear. And burn-in, not like physically, like of course there is physically, but uh, with you and you have to like work it into your rig and you have to be like, okay, well, what if I put it here? What if I put it here? When I got the Manly Varimu, um, it was originally around like the back of my chain, but like for some reason, I guess the way that they just have it laid out, uh, it triggers uh, at uh, at lower levels. And I guess I could dial it back or whatnot, but I mean, it's just not how I want to run it. And so I ended up moving it forward in the changes because I'm not I, like, okay, let's just see where you fit best. And now it's sitting pretty close to the front. Um, but all gear has a little bit of a burn-in period with your rig and your ears and everything that you were doing things with. And so it's like I gave the I gave the knife and the IGS and all that. I gave them uh, about six to eight months at least before like I definitely decided it's like okay, we're going to we're going to make a move here. And my biggest thing is I don't really want to take much of a hit on it, and I want to know where I'm going for here. And sometimes if it's I'm going to get out of this piece of gear and I'm just going to hold on to this money and not reinvest it into something for a while. And we're going to take a couple steps back just so we don't make another um, another mistake. And you're going to demo stuff as much as you can. And uh, I mean, Sam knows I'll fly out to Nashville a few times a year. <laughs> just uh, it's like, hey, I got my eye on something and uh, was talking with, say, Vintage King or something out there. It's like, I just want to listen to it. It won't be perfect because obviously, like, the speakers and stuff like that, not used to the room, but... Um, yeah, you just have to you have to plan out your moves, and uh, buyer's remorse sucks, and it happens to everyone. And the worst part about it is that it's not cheap, so it's definitely heartbreaking. I don't know if I have necessarily any way to cope with it. I mean, scotch is a great option, <laughs> but uh, I don't, I'm not going to endorse doing that. But uh, I'll tell you this. And this is the last point that I have written in my notes. Even though buyer's remorse happens, I do like and and like even like my whole background, like with like behavioral psychology and whatnot. The person's behavior that I will study the most is my own, and because like all you are is you're just like a brain that's like driving around this big old meat thing. Meat, <laughs> and so it's like I like studying how I do things and how I react to things. And I noticed I was kind of like eyeing something when I was on reverb or something like that. Or maybe I was like looking at like what somebody else was using. And I was like, man, that's kind of cool. And I was like, wait, that's that IGS we had. What? Why am I looking at this? Or like I'll see like I'm looking at the knife very me. And I'm like, what am I doing? Like we already had this. We already figured out that this is not like a viable option for what we want to do. Or maybe it's a piece of gear that like I tried a long time ago that I don't that I don't have and then I don't have any desire to get into. But it just kind of looks cool. Um, I always thought it'd be cool to get like an API 5500. I probably won't just because every demo I've heard, I just don't care for it. But I know a lot of people who love it <laughs> and they love the punch and everything. It's, but it's like, and like I'll find myself like looking at it being like, Matt, what are we doing? We've like listened to this and it won't work for the rig. And... Uh, so the last point that I have says, and it's a mental note of there's never a situation that I would have ever been able to put myself in where I would have not made that purchase. 
I would there there's no situation where I would have not bought that IGS tube core or whatever it's called. I would have never not purchased that. I would have never not purchased that knife fairy mew. And I'm not saying anything bad about either of those two. They just didn't work out for my rig. So what does that tell us? If we kind of deduce that back, like if we reduce that down to its very basic raw form, what is that? We just have to dumb it down to a learning experience. And that's life. And sometimes there's buyer's remorse. And sometimes <laughs> we like absolutely fall in love with some pieces of gear. So that just kind of that just kind of is what it is. I would have ne- there's not a situation where I would have not purchased that. So I, when I kind of got to that, I just thought it was kind of interesting. So mm-hmm. Sam, you got a uh, you got anything else? I got it all out, man. That is what Sam and I think about buying gear. Two man's Probably opinions. Probably not all of it. What's that? I said just two people's opinions. Yes, our opinions on how to buy gear. That may not be all of our opinions, but it's definitely enough for today. <laughs> yeah. Take us home. So, so anyway, if uh, yeah, if you like what we said, or you like didn't like what, if you didn't like what we said, shoot us like an email and be like, "No, I love clones. Screw you. Clones are the way of the future. Maybe Lander is. Who knows? But if you like what we said, drop us some stars, likes." Uh, follow us or subscribe wherever you are. More, more, and most importantly, uh, please uh, tell a friend or many friends about this podcast. That would be that's kind of how we grow. We just have this little quirky thing where we will just kind of shout out when we have a new episode, and we've been able to count on it for every other week for the past two and a half years, and hopefully we'll be able to keep doing it. We have no plan on stopping. Um, so if you wouldn't mind telling some friends or uh, whoever you got. We would uh, we would greatly appreciate it. So uh, I think that's I think that's all. That's all I gotta say. Great. What else we got? I'm sure in the background there's a sweet beat from Beesabeats.com <laughs> playing in the background, made by our very own Sam the Sam Moses. <laughs> Feel free to pick up this beat and many more at Beesabeats.com. Um, <laughs> and then we still have uh, we still have gear for or gear or merch for sale. And uh, it'll be at my house until July, and then it'll be at Sam's house after July. Mm-hmm. And we got we got the finest in men's and women's tube sock footwear, but it's actually like tubes drawn on socks. Pretty cool. <laughs> and then uh, we got some resting glasses, which are cool. And we got two mugs, and that's all we could afford this year. So who knows? Anyway. If you like any of those, head over to theattackandreleaseshow.com. We would greatly appreciate your purchase. Um, yeah, and support. And uh, yeah, if you just want to chat, feel free to reach out with uh, any one of us, and we will probably chat back. So, anywho, morning, afternoon, evening, whatever you're having, have a darn good one. I've talked too much already. We got to go. <laughs> Cue the music, Sam. Cue it. Bye. Thank you.